Alright, welcome back to the Tabletop Miniature Hobby Podcast. Mark, you're back on for a second stint. Did the did the audience love you so much before that they demanded you come back onto the show? Yeah, fan favourite. Uh, I think um, the ratings for that episode, I know, were just off the scale. So yeah. Yeah, I, that episode did so well. I run ads against it. Um, Excellent. Hemor- hemorrhoid cream. I think it is. Yeah. It does really well. That's our demographic with this podcast. You know, like middle-aged men. So fantastic. It's a it's a good sponsor. <laughs> we spend a lot of time sitting down. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's very true that. Um, so yeah, just uh, wanted to catch up with you, Mark. We've got a couple of wee topics uh, to cover, but I'm interested to to just get up to speed with what you've been up to lately with the old painting and gaming and stuff like that. What you've been doing? Yeah, not not as much gaming as I'd hoped to be honest. Um, um, but but doing quite a bit of painting actually. I've kind of been working my way through sort of some little fantasy armies that I think when I was last on, um, I'd done some dwarves and some orcs. And I kind of had this idea that I want to have just a few sort of almost like Warhammer-y kind of armies. I've been playing a set of rules called Dragon Rampant that are like one of the little Osprey books. Very simple set of rules, but really good, flexible, a bit like the Song of Blades and Heroes, just a sort of nice, simple system that you can kind of adapt and mould to anything. Um, so just coming up with some little, they're kind of halfway between a warband and an army maybe like 70 figures or so i've got four different races if you like now so i've got some orcs and some dwarves um also done some humans that are kind of made like evil humans uh because i think often the humans are always the good guys i thought now i want to make them more realistic so they're pretty gnarly and horrible um and then i've just finished some well, they're elves, really, but they're kind of inspired by the Michael Moorcock, uh, Elric of Men- Mel Nibane books. So they're kind of Mel Nibane, and so, um, you know, if people have read those books, they'll know what that is. If if not, they're kind of like, um, they're basically very much like what dark elves are like in, in Warhammer. You know, they're sort of taking all those elven traits, but just being absolute bastards about it, and they torture people, and they're just horrible, and Elric is there emperor and he doesn't want to be the emperor and he's a proper emo and he, he just gets all depressed and he's he's got this uh sword called stormbringer that is sentient and it just rips people's souls and drinks their souls and kind of controls him and then he feels really bad about having killed people um and he's just always drugged up because he's the only way of sustaining himself because he was born as a complete weakling so yeah he's quite a cool kind of anti-hero so i've got a little elric figure that um company crooked dice put out and it kind of got me thinking so i've got these other elves and yeah they're looking pretty good actually i'm pleased with them so what's the spread of miniature companies you're using then because uh, I, I think before you mentioned like for a a big base of your dwarves and your orcs you were using the the what was the 25 pence ones again oh um, yeah em4 ones EM4, yeah they're really yeah. good um and they're so cheap and i've I've spent very little money on all this, actually. So although I bought a couple of figures, you know, for the full price or whatever, but I've just been looking around for sort of eBay bargains and things that will fit. And for the humans, for example, I had some like old, um, well, from a few years ago where I'd done some English Civil War figures. And so just kind of mixing those and with some Frostgrave arms and the bits that you get left over when you buy other plastic bits um so yeah kind of trying to make stuff out of kind of nothing and buy cheaply and i bought some oathmark elves i thought they were quite good they were a bit of a bargain as well so trying to kind of i quite like the fact that you can kind of make the figures your own with the plastic kits they're a bit of a pain in the neck the plastic kits because you have to kind of 
you know, it's, it's an extra stage, but I quite like that stage actually. And it's just fun. The fact that you can kind of go, oh, well, you know, they're, they're sort of like, you know, they're not a thing from a company that, and they don't all have to be from the same company. I quite like the fact that they sort of mix and match and they don't all scale properly or look the same as each other really. But from a kind of ragtag band point of view, I think they look quite good actually. So I've been really pleased with that. The one thing I haven't done so much of is bought so many metals. I've got a lot more plastics and although they're good, there's, there's just something weird about the fact they weigh so little. I just think in my head, like they just don't feel right. There's something about, I'd really like to buy more metal things, but they're just, they're just a lot of money if you want to have an army level game. Mm-hmm. Aye, there's a satisfactory weight with them. I'd never really thought about that before, but like we've, in our games, we've got a mix of stuff on the table usually and and I'll always tend to pull from um, my box of uh, the, the Mantic, the Dungeon Saga stuff because oh, now yeah. and then you might need a zombie or something like that. So like, you know, you're moving around your, your metal pieces and then suddenly you're moving this zombie and he'll, he's just like nothing at all. So it's a, it's, it's a weird thing. I'd never really thought about it before, but I like the metal just because, again, it, 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 I'm a bit lazy when it comes to... I mean, I'm not lazy because I enjoy the process, but I think building the stuff I would enjoy it the least. So when I get yeah. a metal miniature, I like the fact that a bit of gluing into the base and clean it up and that's it done. You know, it's ready to bash on with the undercoat. So I quite like that. But yeah, I, I, I also get the appeal of... You know, if you if you're doing the plastics, you're making something that's a bit more unique, aren't you? Because you, you could put your own spin on it. Yeah, even if you're just posing them how you want to, that's kind of your own spin. It's kind of nice. It's that idea that like no two sets of figures are ever going to be the same. Um, I suppose that's kind of one of the things that's mainly appealing about this hobby, isn't it? It's um, making it your own, having your own spin on things. I don't know, it might be like, oh, that's the little backstory behind that group, or it might be just that. I want them to all have this color scheme or you might build some terrain or buy some terrain and no one's got the same setup as anyone else. Whereas I don't know if you play FIFA on PlayStation and someone plays FIFA on the Xbox, it's still exactly the same, you know, and those kind of things are, I think, yeah, we're used to more of a cookie cutter approach to a lot of hobbies. Um, And it's definitely something that that kind of craft side of things is definitely something that really appeals to me. Yeah, I'd just been deliberating over because I, I was painting last night. So uh, I was working again on my, my Norgo Warband, which has taken me a long, long time. But I, again, I'm in no rush with anything. So uh, I was doing a Chaos Warrior and I've got an old Beast in Urgo that I've been painting up. And then I'd got some uh, from, I always want to call them Die Hard. And it's it's not Die Hard, it's Otherworld Miniatures. Uh, yeah. Uh, They've got great sort of undead type, like they're really good at like bad guys, if that makes sense. Mm. Uh, yeah, they've so got a while some back, I did an order with them and I got like a pile of, I think it was like, say, six zombies and six ghouls and six, um, I can't remember the, the name of the other brood, if you like, ghasts or something, but they all kind of look the same and work together. And I've, I've been thinking to myself, like, should I put these into the Norgo Warband? Because I know that like you don't necessarily get zombies and uh, the Norgo lore and Warhammer, but um, coming from the ethos where I'm like you know prepared to be a bit more creative with stuff, I don't mind like going off script a little. So I'm trying to decide whether to do that or just make them their own wee thing and and do a bit of an undead group around them as well. So I think there's something quite cool about um, thinking why um, 
what it is that they've got in common between different things. And it's almost like the otherworldliness of of the chaos stuff or the undead stuff. It it all sort of occupies that horror space, doesn't it? So mm. um yeah, it does work. And I think that, like there's quite a lot of that in um in I know you play a lot of the Joseph McCulloch games and you know there's kind of that quite a lot of mixing and matching in terms of what who the baddies might be. But there's kind of I remember I think you spoke to Joe on the podcast once and he was talking about he was talking about TV programs and he was saying how he kind of likes goodies and baddies, that mm. kind of, uh, and it's, there's all, there's just something that I think plays into that. And I know it works in hero quest where you just got, you know, like loads of monsters. It doesn't really matter what they all are. And I think mm. Dungeons and Dragons probably has a similar thing where you've got the heroes and you've got the baddies. And I don't know, there's something kind of, it's quite relaxing, I suppose, about not having to worry about the sort of rules and, appropriateness of any of this because ultimately we're kind of the masters of it all aren't we so mm-hmm. um not really beholden to anyone as to what the actual kind of canonical uh sort of structure is that binds all of these um these these stories together you know they they can be whatever we want them to be mm-hmm. i guess that leads quite nicely into like one of the things i wanted to talk about which was a uh, so this was a discussion in the discord off the back of the last episode that I did with Conrad. So mm. Conrad obviously had um, written his own Rangers of Shadow Deep scenario and, you know, unfortunately for all us listening, uh, it, it appears that that took quite a lot of time, quite a lot of playing <laughs> and playing again and playing again and playing again. And probably not what we wanted to hear. I think we all wanted to just hear that, no, you just, uh, you write this thing out and you take it away and you play it and it's brilliant. Um, but sadly, that's not the case. And I think a lot of folks who listen to the show are in the same boat as me and I think yourself as well where we, we really don't get the opportunity to play that much like I don't know about you Mark I'm, I'm maybe like a game every two months what would you say you are yeah very similar really and uh, it's kind of a weird one because the the main my main opponent was my oldest daughter uh, when I got back into this hobby four years ago who uh, when she was 12 was mad Zelda fan and totally into it and now that she's 16 and in sick form uh, is far, far less willing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, um, yeah, not that frequently. And I think that I don't have the ability to, um, well, not that I don't have the ability, but I don't, I don't go to a regular sort of venue or a group or a club where there's kind of that. Um, well, we can just try it again, and we can knock the edges off it, and we can have a go at doing things differently. And sort of not in that environment, really. If I were to arrange a, a game with someone, I, I think that generally I'd be the one who's quite chief in putting the game on and being the host, if you like. And I think that that hosting element of it um, makes you feel a little bit uh, obliged to lay something on that will just work and won't create um, a. a a problem where the game, you know, I, I know the game can kind of flow how it wants and it doesn't have to have an, an all right, outright winner in the same way. But yeah, the idea of actually running a game that's got some structure, I think is quite important really, because people are looking for that. It's kind of playing a game should have some sort of basic set of rules. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. I mean, there was a, a good be discussion in the Discord. It didn't go on for a long time, but there was a lot of very good points, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was Grant that was saying, uh, if you'd play tested something six or seven times, you you know, and nailed it at that point, would you even want to play it again? And that's a very good point. And then there was discussions on is, is balance necessary at all? Which I, I think we're all in agreement. You know, we're not looking for something to be balanced in 
in the way that a, a modern day 40k player is going to a tournament and you know it's like uh, 11 v 11 on a football park we, we don't necessarily want that I think what I want to be safe in the knowledge of so if I'm turning up if we've arranged a game if me and Robert are taking time out of day to get together I want to know that for like a couple of hours things will generally be fine you know that there'll be a game to play for two hours uh, and yeah. we might get hammered or we you know we might win but I know that we're not I'm saying this like we literally broke blood moon and uh, had to stop playing it so it, it's not foolproof when you're an idiot uh, but you know when when we're turning up and we've got like one of Joe McCulloch's uh, scenarios in front of us I trust Joe as a games writer that he's like nailed this thing and we're going to be able to play it through so I think that there was this concept as well that was discussed about um, instead of instead of creating something from scratch, because again, I'm not a games designer at all. I think most people aren't, you know, folk maybe dabble, but in general, we're not games designers. So mm. what you could do then as a middle ground, if you're looking at your miniature collection and you're thinking, you know, I'd really like to get some of these miniatures on the table, but I can't find a game for it. Or you're really into a certain story world and you just can't find a game to suit that or a game for that then you could like reskin for lack of a better term existing scenarios so i, I use rangers of shadow deep as an example because i play it a lot so you know i could think of like a lot of scenarios where you could just be like let's let's take that but let's put it in this setting and instead of these mm. miniatures that, that are in the book i'm going to use these things which are kind of the same skill level we've got the clues and events and i'll write rewrite these to to suit this new lore but like they're doing the same thing essentially, or, or very similar things. So, is that is that something that you think might have potential, Mark? Yeah, I think it is, and I th actually think probably if you look at Joe's games, and um, yeah, not to suggest that he's not putting a huge amount of work in terms of redeveloping new things, but actually he's being quite clever in reusing stuff between his game systems. So actually, the, what they have in common also allows him to probably take some some make some efficiencies in terms of developing things. So the way that Stargrave works and the way that Frostgrave works is very similar. Um, and actually the scenarios probably be relatively easy to be quite interchangeable um, because broadly speaking, the game's quite abstracted. They're not really like a direct simulation of what's happening. They're kind of a set of rules to create a sense of doing those things. Um, so I, I think that you probably can do it quite well. A good example would be the Blood Moon uh I can imagine that working definitely in like his uh, silver bayonet setting, you know, with a kind of trying to find out, you know, sort of a Victorian investigator going in and 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 finding who who's who the werewolf is. It would it would work fine, really. And the bits that kind of then might just need a little bit of tidying up will be almost where, if the game's actually doing something that's really mechanically wedded to the setting you might need to sort of change that. But again, there's lots of ways to do that. You know, a, a good example would be if you had, a, I don't know, magic spells in the game, but you want to set it in the real world and play a game of Frostgrave in, I don't know, like a, a war-torn post-World War II setting or something, going into the, the ruins in Stalingrad and going and getting good stuff out of there and coming up against a group of other other freedom fighters who are trying to do the same or something like that. You you could probably do that. You just have to think, well, how are we going to sort of model and mirror those spells so those spells become, I don't know, do you reflect them as being like almost paranoia or mind control or something like that? You know, they're not actually happening in a kind of material way in the real world. They're 
they're an illusion that people are perceiving or or something and it probably still work so yeah. i think you could probably actually a lot of time people talk about genre um in a lot of things and they're kind of actually more referring to setting whereas genre is probably more to do with the actual way in which the narrative unfolds is it a murder mystery is it a heist is it a face-off is it you know those things uh you know you imagine like a neolithic setting with cavemen trying to get out of somewhere that's pretty similar to like a mad max post-apocalyptic thing you know the people trying to survive against the odds against what what's getting chucked at them so if you kind of think back to what what the kind of core purpose of the mission is or the scenario you're looking at i reckon there's probably ways to extend that and mirror it into almost any setting that you want with not a lot of work yeah i exactly i mean that the, the hard work's been done like the mechanical frame is built and it's it's mm. it's almost you know that the story side of things is the the icing on the cake and it's the fun bit but it's it's kind of like um you know, aspiring fiction writers often get things the wrong way around when they when they want to write fiction because the, the first thing is I've got this idea for this planet and you know this is the government and it's um you know it's space capitalism and and you're like yeah. okay that's a great setting but you need to like really niche down into you know who's the character who's the main character what do they what do they need what do they want what's in their way like you start small you, you build the framework yeah. of the story and then the setting you know in theory if you've got like any character-driven story, which is almost any story, you could take the characters and what they're doing and put it in any setting. You know, I, I dare say you could take Lord of the Rings and you could adapt it to Glasgow in the twenties. It could be done. You know, yeah. with a bit of, uh, you know, the framework of this like quest and stuff is there. So the the story and and that translates to to what I'm saying about games is like the mechanics of the game is there. That's the hard part. Joe's done that. We could then, and it, I know that he likes doing that as well. He likes to see people doing that, being a bit more creative. Mm. He's always said that he's putting this stuff out there as, as a toolkit rather than, you know, this is what you will play. And it's knolls or nothing. So Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the simplest the simplest kind of analogy for that is how, you know, it, right at the very start of the book, he gives you this interesting setting of this frozen city and then chucks away, murders all those darlings and says, but... Don't use it if you're not bothered. Yeah. And that, that's a really sort of open and honest way of doing it. And I think it it's probably borne out of the fact that essentially you haven't got a large company trying to create this um, this kind of ecosystem that they're trying to keep you within. So th there's, no, there's no need to say, all oh, these are the things and there's very much like this and everything always happens that way. It, there's not that world building thing going on to the same extent the world building is just to give you inspiration to kind of get you thinking oh i could build my own world or adjust it to make something that i i kind of i've already know and already want to explore further so yeah no i, I think kind of go back to the roots of wargaming tabletop gaming rpgs it all came from that very sort of low fantasy kind of place for the fantasy ones or low sci-fi you know just a few people on the edges of society sort of scuffling around trying to sort out their problems because even if you're doing what is like a battle game with, I don't know, 100 miniatures or so on, that, that's still only representing a, a little a little fight on the edges of the, the wider world, really, isn't it? I think that that kind of big cataclysmic fate of the universe stuff um, that probably like Games Workshop are kind of wanting to move their product towards telling this great big story arc is possibly a place that's relatively hard to just mess about in because... 
there's a lot more rules being put down because those rules are building that property as an, as a thing in its own right. But if you're not so bothered by that and you just want to sort of mess around with something that is either out of your own head or a TV program or a book or something that you've heard about in the past or a real life you know legend or myth, then it's, yeah, I think you can probably take any of these systems and really kind of mess about with them probably only for 10 minutes and you'd be ready to go with the scenario. So I don't think it's a huge amount of work actually to do so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I, you mentioned Stalingrad there already. You know, a bit of a bit of work beforehand. You could you could turn it Felstad, I think the, the Frostgrave mm. City is called. So you turn that into, or you turn it into Lovecraft's Innsmouth, where you've got all your Lovecraft mythos miniatures on the table. You could do that. You know, Absolutely. some of the some of the sort of story worlds I'd be really interested in. You know, I'd, I'd love the thought of maybe being able to do this before the end of the year is like take a Rangers a Shadow Deep scenario but rework it into a story world that I'm quite partial to. So that could even be uh, like the realm of chaos itself could be the Shadow Deep. You could um I read a lot of Joe Abercrombie's books. Don't know if you're familiar with Joe Abercrombie. Yeah, I've not actually read any of them but I know of them, yeah. Mm -hmm. So again his story worlds could be adapted to this setting. 80s cartoons, you know, He-Man, Thundercats. Oh, you yeah. Could, you could go down that route. Uh, you could you could go down the Mega Drive route, Golden Axe, you know. It's like, that if, if you want to go out there and get some cool miniatures that would fit that, then you just take one of these scenarios and you say, right, okay, it's no longer the deserted village. It's, it's you know, this place instead. It's no longer giant flies. It's this these miniatures. And um, I think it'd be a lot of fun to, to sort of set something like that up. I think as long as you use the scaffolding that is given you and you don't then try and actually sort of do something to break it. So if there's some kind of like low level baddies and they're supposed to be, I don't know, like little rats or something, you go, oh, I'm going to make those dragons. Then you can't have the big baddie being yeah, a, a goblin or something. It just kind of, it, would, it wouldn't quite work enough that you wouldn't feel, because once you're playing the game, the rules kind of start, disappearing don't they and kind of falling down matrix style and you kind of there's there's a, you kind of get into the game in a sort of slightly different uh first person way where you're kind of seeing this scenario you built because it's a very 3d kind of tactile um hobby so you're creating this this playground on the table that you then start interacting with so you just need to make sure that the the analogs that you've got in there and the proxies that are going on have a, a broad logic so you're kind of inclined to know what you can do you know if you try to walk on a, a you know a, a brick road and oh no that's actually representing a swamp well that's kind of hard to process so i suppose that's the only thing to be careful of is making sure that you're not adapting something so hard that it actually just goes against those innate thoughts that you might have as to how something would work yeah i mean and this is it's a really good way of, like, again, a lot of listeners to the show are just collectors of whatever miniatures that they like the look of. Um, and I've found personally that I've picked up stuff over the last couple of years that looks really cool, and I've just never really found uh, the, game, the games for them or the settings or scenarios, you know. Uh, mm. Again, you know, Rangers of Shadowdeep and Frostgrave and that, they've got, like, their, their bestiary, their bestiary, I never know how to say that, but... Um, They've got the the kind of creatures that they use, and I've got stuff that's um, not included there. But it's it's easily swapped in and out, isn't it? You know, a skeleton warrior so, yeah. could become whatever you know this other thing that you've got. So, um, 
Aye, it's just to have that license to be a bit more creative with what you're putting down on the table. Yeah, uh, I think there's also an interesting idea, which is that when you've got a setting that you really know, um, maybe it's from a book you've read and you really kind of understand it, then it's quite easy to be to be able to sort of understand how that would work in world if you like you know sort of oh yeah I, I know that these are the kind of spells that this person can create or i know that this 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 hazard is dangerous or whatever it might be so it's probably just a case of making sure that if you are making it very specific and particular to something so say if you're doing lovecraft and you're playing with someone who just doesn't understand that if you then kind of built in lots of things around uh, around sanity and you know, kind of rather than becoming hurt than becoming going sort of slowly insane, you know, you could you could bring in some really interesting like additions to a scenario by just sort of, you know, even just seeing fish people makes you feel frightened or, or whatever it might be. But you just need to make sure that the people playing that game understand it within that more developed setting if you are gonna kind of reskin something to something very particular. I guess that would work. Like if you don't know anything about Star Wars and people suddenly say that like oh, well, you know, that's what a lightsaber is and that's how it works. Oh, I didn't realise it was a sword. I, I didn't know what you could do with it or whatever. you just got to make sure that those parameters, I suppose, are nice and clear. Our question of the month for May 2024 is what rules have you created or adapted to improve your favourite gaming system? This might be a homebrew rule or something you've ported over from another game. The point is you tried it, it worked well and you kept on using it. Head on over to bedroombattlefields.com forward slash voicemail to submit your answer. That's bedroombattlefields.com forward slash voicemail. And now back to the show. What about like, we were talking at the start there just about the the stuff that you're uh, painting in that at the moment, Mark. So Hmm. um, I, I don't know that we covered it too much before talking about like the, the miniatures and that that you were, that you were collecting, but, Generally, like when we talk like aesthetics and stuff like that, are you very much set in the? Do you try and get stuff that's got that eighties, nineties kind of looked at, or do you not mind so much about the modern aesthetic? I don't think that I've really looked at enough modern stuff, um, particularly. Uh, and when I, yeah, the modern stuff I like is probably the stuff that's recreating a simpler, um, more eighties, nineties style. To be honest. So if you look at, I don't know, the, the Frostgrave miniatures that have come out, they're really cool, but they definitely are kind of retro because that's what that product's trying to tap into. It's trying to tap into former 90s Warhammer players, really, rather than be a product that would be really appealing to kind of 12-year-olds now, I, I imagine. So, mm. yeah, no, I think I am more interested in that retro aesthetic. I, I haven't bought many. I've, I've got only one old Games Workshop model, which is something that my wife was given, which is a little vampire by someone that she was at school with. But I haven't got anything from when I was younger. I sold it all. And I haven't bought anything other than I just bought something that I got as a real bargain, which is like a dark elf bolt thrower thing and it was like four quid on ebay it was just so cheap i just thought i'll just get that and it's good and so i might buy some older figures but yeah no i kind of i like the idea of stuff that almost um has got a simpler style to it yeah i think when you look at the 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 new gw models they're really they're really impressive but they're so busy and there's so much on them and they look they look really good if you were just going to paint like 10 figures and that was it and you were going to take months over it. But if you want to blast through stuff, because I quite like 
I quite like putting quite a few models together and doing it relatively quickly and simply. Yeah, and they just look overwhelming. And I don't think that the aesthetic as well is one that kind of speaks to me, really. It doesn't sort of mean anything. I think because it means so much within that universe they've created, not I don't really know anything about anymore. So mm-hmm. I, I kind of look at it and go, well, I don't really know what it is, um, and then just move on. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Like, that's a good point. It's not... I don't think it's just the aesthetic. It's the narrative that that aesthetic's linked to. So when I yeah. see the older looking stuff and it's a bit, it's a bit dirty. It's a bit downtrodden. You know, the, the somebody mentioned once like the pathetic aesthetic of, of back in the day. You know, where especially your human characters and I suppose your orcs and goblins and that they, they, they were all just a bit like vulnerable looking or stupid looking or whatever. And there's a there's a charm to yeah. that and it speaks to the, the you know what story world am I playing in it's it's maybe a bit grim and life's not very pleasant and when you see by contrast uh, I'm not saying that the Age of Sigmar world will be a pleasant place but these uh, we always call them the golden space marines what are they actually called they're, they're called um, um, I, I can't remember storm, storm fronts or is that that's white supremacists isn't it storm <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe they are white supremacists um I know, I know Warhammer has that, or 40k has a problem with that, doesn't it? Uh, so it does, I think, yeah. I've heard. Uh, so aye, Storm, Storm casts. Uh, yeah. I don't really know much about them at all, but when I see them, I'm like, that's not a... That's not a, Not to belittle anyone who collects them or likes them, but it's not It's not anything that really speaks to me. Um, no, I, I don't see them as belonging in that... Fan, like, if I were to sort of just imagine a fantasy world, I kind of... Um, yeah, I'm brought back to thinking about something that's kind of got that down and out kind of um, crappy medieval peasant type feel about it. Everything's a yeah. bit rubbish, and like, there's no superheroes. There's lots of people with agendas. They're just in it for themselves. You know, they're they're not doing something for the greater good or for the yeah or you know for or for their you know for their god or whatever. It, it's kind of it's a lot, lot scrappier, really. That's the that's the place that I find quite fun to play, and I think probably the the you know a lot of that Games Workshop stuff came out of you know uh, being very heavily. Obviously, there's the Tolkien influence, but I think in terms of the sort of actual look and feel, you know, the Tolkien influence influences what an elf is like or what a dwarf is like, and those kind of things. But that's rooted in northern west european mythology mostly isn't it and tolkien was more of a scholar of that and sort of brought it to the public consciousness more but if you look at the works that inspired D and games workshop in the early days you know that's kind of that you know like the michael Moorcott stuff which is about law and chaos and the balance between those and what that feels like and that um you know like i was saying with elric you know that kind of well is he good is he bad you know who who is he and you know that blurring of the lines was very much a thing. And then you look at the 2000 AD stuff with Judge Dredd and very satirical and sort of playing on the times of sort of the end of the 70s, early 80s, Thatcher's Britain, you know, pretty crap times. What was what was life like? And they're, they're kind of almost playing in this fantasy world as a bit of an analogue for, for the real world and bringing those stereotypes out. So, you know, your orcs are like your football hooligans, you know, going around at, at Millwall, Millwall in the early 80s. And it's kind of like, well, what does that look like and how does that play into that world? Mm. And I think, am I right in thinking that the Joe Abercrombie stuff is in that space? Definitely, yeah. It's, it's yeah. the ultimate sort of grimdark, you know, there's no good guys really. Um, yeah. Everyone's very flawed. Uh, so, yeah. And it's kind of a bit like the sort of, 
bit like post Great Depression film noir stuff in America and the pulp stuff that came out of that with um, the ambi- ambiguous heroes and and everyone's got their own agenda. So I think that that space is quite fun to play in, probably because you wouldn't actually really want to live in it. It's kind of grim in its own way, but it's it's that's where you can then bring the humour in. I think that's why it's kind of weird when there's things in the Age of Sigmar stuff now that are sort of legacy gaze workshop stuff like the fact that orcs have got slightly silly names and are a bit mad. And you're like, oh, that just doesn't really work with the Golden Space Marine stuff because that all seems really high fantasy and high concept. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And you're sort of like, well, why, why would these creatures ever interact in a million years? How do they belong in the same universe? It seems kind of strange. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's interesting to, to think that... Um, Warhammer the old world is a thing you know apparently that's coming back and that mm. and I'm, I'm not necessarily saying that I'll ever try it or, or buy anything uh, to do with it but I, I am morbidly curious you know if it ever happens just what it's going to be like and what the story world's going to be like and how similar it's going to be to what was back in the day um, Yeah. so yeah I've got it... a, a curiosity for it I think I, I do too and I think it's out of a sort of hoping that they just re-release uh, some monoposed uh, elves and goblins in a box and it's exactly mm. the same as everyone with like a fallen over giant drawn on a piece of cardboard and all those sort of silly things that, that you got and yeah maybe they would they just they might do on the basis they've kind of carried on with Blood Bowl which is ridiculous and Blood Bowl's always been ridiculous it's got this stupid concept it doesn't make any sense and yet they still sell it even though it kind of is really contrary to what all the Games Workshop world is really about nowadays. But yeah, no, they, so they might go, I hope that they go down that slightly silly route. I think the few little bits I've seen in the old world looks quite serious. And I think that that's the thing with Grim Dark. Grim Dark sort of as an aesthetic sounds a bit like uh, it's, well, that sounds very ultra serious. But actually, because it's it's quite satirical, it's quite silly too. Like Judge Dredd is, it's got this sort of stupid stuff in it that just, is a bit weird. So I think that, yeah, that grim, dark place, I, I just don't know whether or not, I think that GW think that they occupy that space, but I'm not, but it doesn't say the same thing to me that it did 30, 40 years ago. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The other, the game that you mentioned you were playing, was it Dragon Rampart? Dragon Rampant, yeah. So, so how, how is um, that? Does that, does that provide you with lore or that, or is it more just like rules? It provides you with absolutely none. It just says there isn't any because you know what you're doing. This is just a system to allow you to do the thing that you wanted to do anyway in a more modern, streamlined way. So what I quite like about it is it's taking like more modern me- mechanics. So you know, like you fight and defend at the same time. So, oh, I've got, I've got three wins and you've got three, and then take the models off. So you kind of just do it. It's quicker. It flows faster. There's basically archetypes that drive each unit. So there's only about 10 or so types of archetypes. And then you can slightly adjust them, say, oh, they're veteran, that's an extra point, or they're they're uh, you know they don't know what they're doing they're novices so they're, they're a bit cheaper and you can add some magical abilities to things like oh they've they've got slightly magical weapons so when they hit on a six it's automatically a wound or yeah that type of thing real simple mechanics so it's just it's quite like song of blade of heroes i think but at a unit level game but it just mm-hmm. and they don't have like um rank and flank really uh they can kind of form close order some of the units and be like a, a block but basically they just move around like a little group so mm-hmm. 
loads of sort of people who are really into wargaming and go, oh, it's a bit rubbish because it doesn't really have a lot of nuance to it and you can't really do the kind of, I'm a great general and I outflank this unit with my cavalry and I got... You're not going to become very good at it, I don't think, because it's inherently designed just to sort of let you play with toys. Um, so it's similar to the stuff Conrad was talking about in terms of when he was talking about how he developed that thing with the playing wheel for his kids. So just like really basic, just to let them experience that world. So yeah, it's a step up from that, but it is it's really light touch. And there's a whole series of books in the in the series by. Um, Daniel Mersey, the guy who wrote Dragon Rampant, and he's written others with other people, some of which are historical. There's one that's just come out called Xenos Rampant that is a um, science fiction version written by him and another guy. And the other guy actually did it as like a like a fan-free PDF and then sent it off to the publishers. And they were like, yeah, we'll actually publish it. So they're all published by Osprey, who published the uh, Frostgrave books. and Well worth a look. Yeah, I was reading the... Uh the latest edition of Miniature War Games and Conrad had written a scenario for uh, the Xenos Rampant one. Ah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. And he talked a lot about the game too and he, you know, he, he spoke highly of it but he said that the rules aren't doing anything groundbreaking but they're very playable and he said the gold of the book was really in the scenarios like it gives you a lot of cool scenarios and he said um, that, you know, that alone almost was worth getting the book and there was just quite yeah. a lot to do with it, so... The scenarios are kind of cool as well because they've got like they've got something slightly different about them because it doesn't take itself seriously and it's quite stupid and it's just sort of playing into these kind of fantasy archetypes. Then it allows you to. It's like there's one that's called um, it's called something stupid like the Crystal Gale or something. And uh, the idea is that all these crystals have been blown out of the Queen's bedroom window and scattered across the kingdom and you have magical pouches and you have to go and pick up the king the crystals and when you get them they get transported back to your castle you know it's that kind of sort of almost stupid sort of fairy taley kind of structure you're like yeah but it will work better for the game rather than trying to go oh how would you actually make it so that they can pick the crystal up and then they can't lose it once they've got it that just gets magically transported there we go and it's kind of it's quite true to what fantasy should be about. Fantasy should be about, on science fiction, the same. You should be able to just go, oh, well, there'll be a, a, a magical or a technological solution for just for that MacGuffin and just making that thing happen. Um, mm. You don't need to explain it away with logic. You can just just wave a magic wand and it's all true. So I quite like that about it, actually. it's, it's um, Yeah, because there's something quite weird about the idea of Sort of fantasy and science fiction miniature games that take themselves really seriously when you actually consider how preposterous it is that you're actually doing it in the first place. Yeah, like you, you get some wee guy like, oh, this doesn't make sense. And you're like, look, none of it does. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, have you ever played open combat? You ever played that? No, no, I've heard you talk about it. Is that similar? Aye, so it's a, it's a really good wee skirmish game and you could play it with very few miniatures. Um, you know, you could be like four aside sort of thing. Mm. And it was like the first game that I picked up when I got back into the hobby um, and just loved the fact that it was uh, so small scale and, and this concept of manager agnostic, you know, me growing up with Games Workshop, I just never thought that anyone would ever do something like that. And you're like, wow, I could use anything I want. So the, the scenarios in that are good. Um, again, nothing's reinventing the wheel and they've got a good... Uh, treasure hunt style one you know the the type where you've got a uh, certain say you've got objectives on the board and you've got a it could be a deck of cards so each time you're at one of these um 
objectives, you could draw the card and see whether you've found the treasure or not. And eventually, uh, okay, that's cool, yeah. either will or you won't. Um, but one of the things that comes out of the one of the things that you'll find when you're looking for the treasure, it was a giant fish, and uh, it was like you find this huge fish and then it says you just keep hold of it and you could throw it and it had quite a good attack value if I remember correctly. <laughs> so I just loved that funny little random bit of narrative where like I was playing it with my wife at the time and like I found the fish and then I'm like, I've got the fish and like I couldn't wait to throw it and then I threw it and it didn't do anything and I was gutted. But um, just wee bits of fun like that that I really enjoy. I couldn't imagine one of the... Uh, Stormcast guys throwing a fish at somebody. No, I don't think so. Happen, no. I'd imagine so. Welly wanging. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's something about the kind of silliness of it that is what really appeals to me, to be honest. And I and think as well for a lot of people, you know, of our generation, we, we're the amount of people who, who are our age who are enjoying this, we are kind of vicariously uh, going back to our childhood and kind of enjoying what we enjoyed when we were 12 so actually it being the kind of thing that would make you giggle when you're 12 definitely ticks the box for me yeah and then uh, do you listen to the the war game uh, the war games orchard i could never remember if it's mm. war games orchard or warhammer orchard really good podcast yeah uh, i really like that yeah uh, it's a it's a great show and the when they're going back through old editions and old rules of stuff and you see the amount of fun that games workshop was having at the time with this stuff you know if like yeah. off the top of my head, they're talking about the um, halfling hot pot, the soup. Oh yeah, and it's like all this, all these random tables about these are all the things that will go wrong, or pretty much any orc and goblin, like war machine or weapon, or just anything orc and goblin at all. There was always just all these things that go wrong that you roll on, and it's just really funny stuff. Like you, you would almost want the things to go wrong because it's making the great narrative rather than this will prevent me from winning. You know. So, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, no, those random, those random event tables and all that kind of stuff is is really kind of key to it, isn't it? And I and I think that comes from that role playing game place of having loads of random sort of elements and so on. And yeah, it's really cool. They do those episodes, don't they, where they like make a chaos champion by rolling on the like D one thousand charts and yeah. get mutations and stuff. They're real. I I I like the thought of having a random events table just for my life you know like waking up in the morning you've got like six potential options of even how you're going to get out of bed um what kind of shower what you're going to wear what you're going to have for breakfast probably turn out to be quite a disastrous day <laughs> all things considered but well, there was that guy wasn't there is it in the 80s or 90s wrote a book called is it called the dice man and he basically just made all of his decisions by rolling a six-sided dice and just went with that and right. you know, and the, the scrapes that it got him in, you know. Aye. But I mean, I mean, you've got to be pretty careful when you're putting that together. You don't have like you know, go to work, murder someone. <laughs> you, well, that's you it. Be like, quite judicious in your choices. When you're in the dock and you're like, look, your honour, it all started because I was just doing this thing with the dice, <laughs> and I know a lot of people are dead now, but um, it's not actually my fault. <laughs> I just roll quite badly. So, yeah. Well, in fairness, was, there are those. There are those people who roll badly. You probably get away with it. What's your favourite dice? Do you, do you like the D six, the D twelve, the D twenty? Oh, um, yeah, I quite, I do quite like, um, I do quite like them all. It's something funny, isn't there, about about these? The D twenties are good, but they sometimes just roll and continue rolling because it's a bit like a ball, isn't it? So, Aye. I quite like the, I do like 
the fact that they're unpredictable. And I like it when games do things. Have you ever played, um, I know you've got some of the figures, but have you ever played Burrows and Badgers? No, I've never actually played it, no. It's really cool. It's a good game. But one thing that, that that's got that I really like is that you've different dice. Depend, so you don't have a statistic, you have a dice. So if you're good at something, you get like a D20. If you're rubbishy, you get a D4. Um, but it's got a really clever mechanic where if you roll the top number you could get, it's a critical hit. So if you're rubbish at something, you've got a D4, but you've got a 25% chance of getting a critical hit. Whereas if you're really good at something, then you're far less likely to get lucky. So it's kind of mm. like reflecting that sort of plucky um, underdog element. Yeah. So yeah, but I do really like having all the different dice, actually. It's something that, because I was never like a role player and just playing the games, workshop games, they're always just six-sided dice. But I always quite like the dice, the cool ones, like you know, for the cannons and the scatter ones and the direction and the hero cost ones with the skulls and stuff. I always like those kind of yeah. things as well. Even though Aye. they're just basically normal dice, aren't they, really? But yeah. they just they look cool and they're fun. I that um the burrows and badgers mechanic that you're talking about that's also something so I, I got recently um it's the, the games writer Brent Spivy so he did mm. um uh, Rogue Planet which is a sci-fi skirmish and that's a great wee rule set and it's really it does quite a lot of again I I've not read a lot of games so I can't I can't say this with any authority but it seems to be quite unique in a lot of things that it does um. And he's got another one called Mayhem, which is Mass Fantasy Battles. So I bought that because I wanted something when I when I finished painting all my six mil stuff. I was looking for something different than Kings of War, which I've kind of gone off a wee bit. Like I really liked it a couple of years ago, but I've really gone off the big bucket of dice thing. Like I just can't be yeah. arsed rolling forty dice. Uh, and then picking through them and rolling them again and that. So I thought I'll get him. Um, seeing as Rogue Planet's really cool, I'll get Mayhem as well. And that is uh, what you're saying there. So you're picking your units and instead of stats, you, or I think they've got three stats, but their three stats are, or three attributes are dice or die. Uh, so, you know, and I, I think the lower numbers, the better as well. So like, okay. I think like you were saying, you know, when you've got a D20, you're probably not very good, whereas you've got like a D4, you're probably pretty solid. So, um, okay, cool. I really want to get him on the show. I've I've reached out to him, and he's up for it, but he's he's um saying he needs to sort a couple of things out soon. But I really want to to pick his brains about these games and just like because again, Brilliant. I'm a bit yeah. stupid when I, I read rules. I've always got a lot of follow up questions, so. I think it's nice when you find, come across someone as well who's done something that seems to kind of be a bit of a quantum leap away from what other systems do. You know, like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, what what made you even think of doing it that different way? Because I think if I was trying to write some rules and I was like, oh, okay, I, all I do is just instantly think of the things that I've done before and just mm-hmm. assume you have to do it. I think that's why something like Hero Quest, it seems weird that you have to roll a dice to see how far you move. Yeah. But it didn't when we played it because it was just exactly like the same as you did when you played most dice games. Yeah, Monopoly or that, yeah. Yeah, so things are really evolving, aren't they, in terms of how like people think about game design and, and what, what that looks like. That kind of whole um, sort of academic approach to how games are designed and what they do. And, um, you know, there's all these really cool European board games nowadays that are, you know, mostly mathematicians are the people that are designing them and thinking about mm-hmm. the combinations of things and probabilities and stuff blows my mind. Yeah, I, it's, it's way beyond what I'm capable of. I'm just... Uh... Again, goes back to what we were saying before. You know, I'm happy for someone to have done the, the legwork and me to just yeah. come in and put a bit of makeup on it here or there on and change the setting a wee bit and just run with, with what's there. So, 
Um, have you got any games in the pipeline, anything arranged in the near future then? Uh, nothing particularly, no, which is a bit frustrating. So, I, And I was actually thinking I need to make sure I do that. I think with this time of year as well, we kind of get Christmas out of the way in the winter and so forth. But also because I moved to a new job in October, which is cool. But um, one thing I'm sort of interested in doing is seeing whether any colleagues or any anyone is interested in kind of getting involved and, and doing things like that after work maybe at some point. But um yeah, I haven't come across anyone yet that I've been brave enough to tell them. Need like a t-shirt or something so, you know, the right people will be able to identify what it means, but anyone else just thinks, I don't know, it's a band or something. <laughs> yeah, you, just, you don't want to look too weird, do you? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> but cool. yeah, no, I am looking forward to that. And I, the other thing that I know you've mentioned on the Discord server as well is about <laughs> potentially the um, Bring Out Your Lead event um which Aye. is in in uh, Newark, is it in Nottinghamshire? Yeah, Newark in, um, in the summer. August. Yeah, yeah. So I'm kind of thinking I'd really like to go to that, and I might just go up for one day because I mean, fairness, I'm dead lucky. It's probably about an hour from my house, so uh, it is really quite convenient. So I might I might pop along to that because you know, I just want fascinated to know what it's all about. Really, it's kind of thing. Aye. Maybe a couple of years ago, I'd have been a bit nervous to go to, and sort of felt, oh, mm. maybe I don't don't know enough, or maybe I'm not. I'm I'm a newcomer and I shouldn't go, but no, I think I need to just overcome that and go. Yeah, no, just go and have a look, see what's going on. I'm sure it'd be a friendly bunch. I no, I'm I'm really keen to get to that myself. I've not booked anything at the moment, but I'd like to think I'll make it along, uh, even if it is just for the Saturday. And um, yeah, based on what I've heard and uh, the folks I've spoke to about it in the past, it is the the perfect event for again the ethos of this podcast in general that like nobody's taking it seriously it's it's the fun it's the story it's yeah. um you know you're not turning up there to get absolutely tabled by some <laughs> little dick with a invincible <laughs> but unrealistic army so yeah you're taking your you're taking your golden space marines yeah definitely i'm gonna uh, go and buy them this afternoon so dress up as one well. <laughs> cool <laughs> It's been great to speak to you again, Mark. Um, yeah, you too. For coming back on, we'll uh, we'll get you on again, and you could uh, get your hat trick as well. So, excellent. Now, really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Mm-hmm.